Hello, my name is Paul and I have the privilege of, uh, along with a bunch of great people, leading the Common Ground Seapoint congregation in this great city of Cape Town. For over a decade, I actually, having qualified as a chartered accountant, lectured at UCT to, to help others qualify as chartered accountants. What I loved about that period of my life was everything was so measurable. There were exams that had a mark associated with it. And of course, there was the board exam, which would have a pass rate as well. And I could always tell from one year to the next how well I was doing, how well my students were doing. There was something quite compelling about that. But as soon as I moved across and, and started uh, leading in, in Seapoint, I was struck by the fact that Things were not as quantifiable, were not as measurable. I, I, I recognized then that sport then became quite a lovely thing to focus on because in sport, at least there'd always be a winner, right? The, the, the match needs to end with some resolution. And having sort of talked about this as a leadership team, uh, we, we got together in Seapon and we said, you know what? Although it might not be easy to measure, we do know what we want to do. We want to help everyone who comes into Common Ground Seapoint with the fact that in a world with unlimited options, unlimited options, our one thing we can do is we can point them towards what is eternally important. We can point them to the person of Jesus Christ, who we believe to be the most eternally important person that everyone needs to, to know, uh, become like, and and emulate. I, I, I love the fact that we've got clarity around this, that as a community, it's about being with Jesus, becoming like Jesus and doing what Jesus would do. And whilst it's not easy to measure, that clarity has helped fill a little bit of the, the kind of void in my little accountant's heart for, for things to be measurable. And we today are going to be looking at Jesus, looking at his life, looking at Jesus in his own words. Today, we don't want to know about Jesus. We want to know Jesus. And I trust that that would be something of what you have stirring in your heart. You know, there's a difference between knowing about, um, let's say, Meghan Markle and, and knowing Meghan Markle, having grown up next door to her and have, having gone to the same school and, and the birthday parties. I mean, you just know there's a huge difference between knowing about someone and knowing someone. Our desire is to help you today focus on what's eternally important, on who's eternally important to move from maybe knowing about Jesus to knowing Jesus. And in order to do that, uh, we're going to look at the book of Mark. It's a book written about Jesus' life, probably the first one written. And someone is sitting down and recording who Jesus is, what he got up to. And right at the beginning of the book, the punchline is given. The punchline is given. It says it, it is going to be a book about the good news of the Son of God. The good news of the Son of God, that Jesus Christ is, is the Son of God. And the book moves at quite a pace. And we looked at it throughout last year. You've got Jesus calling his first disciples to each other, visiting them while they're at their fishing nets or in their tax booth. You've got Jesus leading them in some incredible uh, moments. They, they have the highs of various miracles and multiplication of food and then the lows of, of storms and treacherous conditions. And I'm reminded of one storm in particular where Jesus goes out walking on water and he says to those in the boat, his disciples, he says the, the following things. He says, take heart, take heart, do not be afraid. They're in the middle of the storm. He says, take heart, do not be afraid. But you know what he says between those two sentences? It's quite incredible. He says, take heart, do not be afraid. It is I, it is I. 
What an incredible thing for Jesus to say. Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. He didn't seem to be shy around talking about himself, but not just that, pointing towards himself as the son of God. And we've reached a a point in the book where Jesus as God with us, as Emmanuel, as the son of God, as the Messiah has been accepted by his apprentices. That's sort of the halfway mark of this book. They recognize who he is. And now having identified himself as the king, Jesus switches gears and says to him, I'm not just the king, I'm a king who's going to a cross, a gruesome uh, torture tool of the Roman empire. And, and his apprentices don't believe him. They say, no, 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 no. We get that you're a king, but we don't get the cross. We love that you're a king, but we don't love that you're going to a cross. But remember Jesus right at the beginning had said that there was good news in store for us. And so it's not just that he's a king that's good news. It's also good news that he is going to a cross. And we, we're going to come back to that later. But for now, the little passage that we're going to read together is Jesus teaching his apprentices. We've reached that part in the book of Mark. He's been identified as the king. He's saying he's going to the cross. And now he's teaching his apprentices, his disciples, because they are going to continue the work that he began to do. He needs them to be trained up. And Jesus knows there's some significant issues in their life that need to be dealt with. No longer going to get swept under the carpet. They need to deal with some things in their life. And hey, uh, if we're honest, we need to admit that there's some significant issues in our own lives that Jesus needs to deal with. So let's lean in now. Let's read Jesus training his apprentices. Jesus undiluted, uncensored words that are appropriate for us today as well. Reading from Mark uh, chapter 9 from verse 38 to 50. John said to him, and that's obviously to Jesus. John said to him, teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name. And we try to stop him because he was not following us. But Jesus says, do not stop him. For no one who does a mighty work in my name will be able soon afterward to speak evil of me. For the one who's not against us is for us. For truly I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. And if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands to go to hell to the unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame than with two feet to be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. This is Jesus undiluted, uncensored. And it's important to realize that Jesus is not trying some kind of shock jock uh, approach to build a fo- following, to get, to get um, people flocking around him. No, no, no. He's, he's not speaking to crowds. He's speaking to his apprentices. He's speaking to those closest to him that have identified him as being the king on the way to a cross. And there's some warnings that he's giving them. And there's some strong language. If, if you 
have clicked and you've and you and you're here and you're joining us for the first time or maybe you're back in church for the first time in a long time it's kind of shocking that this would be the first message you hear right it's Jesus speaking about things which which are kind of unimaginably hectic he 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 has he has not tried to shock you with these words he's he's trying to reach you with the message of good news and i promise you that there is good news here so lean in. Our, our structure for today is to, is to learn that, that God knows and sees everything, right? That's, that's kind of going to be the big picture and that's probably half the points that, that we're going to make. And then two things flow from that because if we have a God who sees everything, he sees the good and the bad and he wants us to know some things. He wants us to know that us causing others to sin is taken very seriously and also us ourselves sinning is taken very seriously by Jesus. And, and of course, we are going to be talking about Jesus' uh, terms, speaking of, of hell and holiness. We, we have to because right now in our culture, these things are incredibly offensive and we, we're going to deal with them. So the first thing that Mark wants us to recognize is that God sees everything. God sees everything. He, he's got some apprentices who have noticed that there's someone else casting out demons. And they're wondering, hey, this person doesn't seem to be following us. He hasn't been part of our crew over the years, but yet is doing something quite, quite remarkable, right? It's not every day you cast out demons. And they're wondering to themselves, is this allowed? I mean, this seems to be someone outside of the fold. What's going on here? Jesus tenderly says to them pretty much, don't stop him. Don't stop him. Uh, you, you really don't know everything that's going on, but I do. God sees everything. And I will reward those who, who are acting in my name. Now, even if they give a cup of water, if they do so in my name, I see it and I'll reward it. It's Jesus telling the disciples, well, well, relax, relax. You might not know about everything that's going on, but I do. And those who are acting in my name will be rewarded. That's kind of what's going on at the moment. And Perhaps a superficial reading of this text is, as it appears on the screen, you can, you can have a look at it. Perhaps a superficial reading, you know, from verse 40, for the one who's not against us is for us, is a little bit problematic because a superficial reading might just be, well, Jesus is chilled, right? Jesus is chilled. It doesn't matter. Like, as long as you don't hate Jesus, you're fine, you know. But there's a little bit of a problem with that thinking because it kind of supposes, well, then all, all roads lead to God, right? It um, doesn't really matter where, where we land on some issues. I mean, the disciples are trying to find out who's in and who's out. And Jesus isn't saying to them, oh, that's, that's not an appropriate question. What he's actually saying to them is it's, it's not for you to decide. It's for me to decide. Because you have a finite perspective. You only see in part, but I see it all. I see the good and I see the bad. And remember, I made it quite clear that it's not a wide path. It's, it's actually quite a narrow path. And I, and I don't have many, many paths. I have the way, the truth, and the life, which is me. And so a superficial reading of this text is not, is not accurate. It's not okay to say like, oh, anything goes. It doesn't matter what you say. Like, if you're not against us, you're for us. No, no, no. What Jesus is actually saying is, it's not your role as my apprentices to be the auditors of, of where people are at. Leave that to me. I want you to inject trust in the actions of others. You don't see it all, but I do. 
And aren't you encouraged by this message that a God who sees everything is a God who sees the deeds done in his name. And that those who, who love others with simple gestures or extravagant gestures will find their reward. And this issue of reward crops up here, right? It, it's spoken quite clearly. Jesus says, you know, that, that, um, those, uh, that, that are, those that give a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose their reward. I've often uh, struggled with this as I shared uh, as a kind of accountant who likes measurable things. I've often thought about this and thought, well, how does this work? Is there like some poor mourn uh, total, like it's a bit like an arcade game. And as I do things on earth, lots of cups of water for Jesus, like the arcade game uh, total goes up. You know, I'm quite into my um, rewards programs with my medical aid provider. I get a smoothie every week, but I mean, this sounds like a whole nother level of, of rewards, right? Heavenly rewards. I mean, forget smoothies. We're talking about a whole other ball game. And I'm, I'm tempted to go down that line, but again, that's a very superficial understanding of what Jesus is teaching. See, if you look at the whole sweep of scripture, it would be misunderstanding Jesus if we think he's trying to motivate us out of self-interest. He's trying to get us to do good things so that our, our little points total in heaven shoots up. No, 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 that's, that's never been his motive. See, on this life already, we've learned some things. If you read Adam Grant's uh, book on givers and takers, uh, Liz Wiseman on multipliers versus diminishers, as the research comes back, we notice that those who serve others and those that love others are those that have incredible disproportional impact, not just one day, but today. That there's something about generosity that begets greater generosity. That there's something about selfishness that begets greater selfishness. That on this side of eternity already, there's just practical wisdom that those who live generously for others reap the benefits in this lifetime already. How so, Paul? How so? Well, it's not that being generous right now is accumulating some points total and you won't, you won't see it one day. No, it, it, it pleases God and it leads to a whole culture change, not just in your life, but in those around you. Ah, there's much that could be said here, but perhaps if you're a Christ follower and, you, and you're discouraged as you listen, you say, Paul, it feels like I am offering water to people in a, in a, in a dry space. I'm, I'm extending myself for others. I'm caring for others. And it feels like no one sees me. It feels like I'm, I'm not being rewarded in this life. <laughs> oh, and maybe I will get later. Perhaps you find yourself discouraged. Well, my message to you from this passage, from what Jesus would say to you is, God sees everything. God sees everything. He sees your work for others. He sees the, the cups of water you offer others that quench their thirst, that wash them clean, that kind of create growth. He sees all of that. And they will by no means go unrewarded. He sees it and he will reward it. And, and for all of us, a reminder from Jesus in this passage that it's God who sees everything and therefore it's God who will reward or punish. It's God who is the judge. It's not our role to be overly auditing of those who, who might not be following us, but who are still following Jesus. Because that really is the key. If you look at the passage, it's John asking Jesus, hey, they're not following us. They're not following us. And Jesus said, hey man, it's not just about who's following you. It's about who's following me. And I'm the one who truly knows the answer to that question. 
So that's really, uh, speaking about a God who sees everything, that's a God who sees the good deeds. But what about a God who sees the evil deeds that we do? Well, that's what Jesus is now speaking about. He says, hey, I see everything. It's not for you to see. And I see people doing a lot of good things, but I also see a lot of people doing evil things. This is a God who sees the good, but he also sees the bad. And remember, Jesus is not saying these passages as we put them up now again from verse 42 on to um, verse uh, 48. He's not putting these things up here to get more clicks to his website, to get more uh, podcast listeners, to kind of be a shock uh, factor that that riles up attention. Now, Jesus is saying this because he's got those that are close to him, those that he is training up. And he's looking at them and he's saying, "I, I need to teach you about things that are going to harm you in this life. He's hyperbolic in his language. He's, he's really trying to emphasize it, but it's, it's because he loves those around him that he speaks into this context. He sees some things in their lives that are going to damage them. And truthfully, if he looked into our lives, he'd also see some things that are damaging us now as well. And he mentions hell. And of course, at this um, moment, our cultural sensitivities are quite high around that. Speaking about the city of Cape Town, this message of Jesus, Jesus undiluted, uncensored in his own words would be offensive to your average Cape Townian. And so I, although not the primary emphasis, I do want to quickly address what Jesus speaks about here, which is, which is hell. One preacher uh, in, in looking at this passage had as his sermon title, sin is serious and hell is real. That kind of like, raises the stakes as to what we're talking about here. Sin is serious and hell is real. So let's flip that around and talk about um, hell. I firstly have three thoughts, basically, quickly, that I think might be helpful. First thought is as follows. Being offended by hell, just even the mention of it, is actually quite a Western cultural response. It's quite a Western cultural response. In vast uh, parts of the world right now, many people, would not be offended at the thought that there's a God who created everything, a God that sees everything, and a God who rewards those that do good and punishes those that do bad. Most cultures would actually be quite okay with that. What would offend them is a God of grace, a God of mercy, a God who lets people get off the hook for the bad things that they have done. You see, it takes quite a a Western post-enlightenment background to arrive at a place where we don't believe in a God who brings about justice and a God who judges. And so just a warning that if already you're kind of put off by what Jesus is saying, it might just be because of your cultural background and that you've had a very narrow upbringing that would question a God of judgment, but love a God of love. In most places in the world, it's a God of mercy that actually is questionable and, and they're okay with a God who would, would give, ask us to give an account for our lives. The second thought I think which would be helpful is that not only could we be accused of being culturally narrow, the second problem is that if we're honest, we actually do need a judge. We do need someone who, who is seen at all. Superficially, you might listen to me and go, oh, Paul, that's rubbish. I actually love the fact that I don't have someone as a judge in my life, that I'm completely free. But I don't think that's true because I'll, I'll, I'll give you an, an, an analogy. Think of a parent. Think of a parent who loves their child and that child starts using drugs excessively to a point where all their income goes towards it. They, they have a breakdown of health. Their relationships are suffering. Do you think that child is experiencing freedom? Do you think a loving parent would just step away and say, well, it's their own life. Let them just go for it. 
uh, I think a loving parent would roll up their sleeves and viciously attack the, the drugs that are harming their loved ones. I think a parent would, would have settled opposition at the core of themselves to anything that would rob their loved ones of life that is truly life. You see, when we go through our lives, we, we might initially think, woohoo, freedom is not having someone telling us right from wrong. But yet, we know through this example of a parent that the parent that stands aloof, that doesn't step in, it's not been loving at all. But it's actually allowing us to get further and further and further away from life that is fully life. Another example of why we need a judge is given by Miroslav Volf. He's a theologian that was impacted by the conflict in Yugoslavia a few decades ago. And his simple observation was that if you want to live a life um, without bitterness, without the desire to take revenge, you need to know that there is a God who sees everything and a God who ultimately will judge everyone. You see, the only way you can forgive and not want to take revenge and not want to judge others is if you know that there is someone who's perfectly just who will one day hold everyone to an account. He says it's quite comfortable in your, in your middle-class homes to kind of go, oh, I don't believe in a God of justice. But it's very different when you've been a victim of genocide, been a victim of intense suffering, and then being told, oh, just forgive them. No, no, the only resource you have to forgive others is a deep knowledge that God will judge all of us. This is a big topic and I don't want to pretend that in a few minutes I can cover it all. So I commend you, uh, Tim Keller's book, The Reason for God, one of the chapters speaks about how can a loving God send uh, people to hell? Uh, I also want to make available to you the Common Ground team and our website and all the resources because this might be a significant stumbling block and I don't think it needs to be. Besides the fact that we might be culturally narrow and we need a judge. The final point I'll make is, you know, that Jesus, this Jesus we're speaking about, he's talking about hell. He's warning us about hell, but he's also the one who came to save us from hell. You see, Jesus is warning his apprentices, but he's not just warning, he's, he's the solution. He talks about hell way more than um, we do today, but he also is the one who made a way for us to get back to God. If you had to define hell, if you had to kind of get to its root, what is hell? It is separation from all that is loving, all that is good, all that is beautiful, all that is peaceful. It's essentially a separation from God, the author of life. And Jesus' whole mission when it comes to this earth is so that we will no longer remain separated from the author of life. See, he, he comes as our substitute to, to take our rebellion and take our selfishness and take that which doesn't belong to him at all onto himself so that justice does prevail, so that God can be both just and merciful. Because when he looks at us, he sees someone who has paid for our sins. He's stamped guilty so that we can be stamped not guilty if we place our faith in him and receive him as our substitute. That's why the, the gospel of Mark starts with the good news of Jesus Christ because when we recognize our separation from God, we're able to recognize his provision of a rescuer. You see, this passage is saying to us that we contribute nothing to our saving work other than what Jesus Christ provides. And that is good news.
So Jesus is reminding his disciples that when it comes to life, God sees everything. And we're not the ones that, that need to audit the good deeds or the evil deeds by others. He will see it all. He will reward the good deeds and he will punish and judge those evil deeds. And this kicks on to, to some very practical applications for us. And that's point two right now, saying that you know God takes us causing others to sin seriously. He takes us causing others to sin very seriously. Look at the severe consequences he, he mentions. He's essentially saying you can't game the system. You can't game the system. God sees it and he's going to judge. Jesus is essentially talking about uh, people that lead others astray. And he's saying this could be um, his disciples themselves or young children. But essentially what he's saying is that there will be serious consequences if you do this. Uh, the metaphor he uses is quite terrifying. He takes the sea, which is a pretty scary thing already culturally. The Jewish people believed that drowning in the sea was one of the worst ways in which you could pass away. It's kind of like your worst nightmare. Then he's taking a giant millstone that is only really being able to be moved by beasts of burden to, to grind out the wheat. And he's saying, I'm going to put that on you and then you're going to sink to the bottom of the ocean. I mean, that sounds like a pretty terrifying nightmare. And Jesus is saying, if you actively commit evil in this life, I will become your worst nightmare. I will take, uh, I will take these, these images and try and, and, and make you understand that it is not a light thing to cause harm to others. It is a very serious thing. You will be held account and you will be judged severely. Doesn't want, Jesus doesn't want you messing with the lives of others, causing others to stumble. Jesus cares about this. He radically cares about this. And Jesus doesn't just warn us about causing others to sin. He, he warns us about ourselves, causing ourselves to sin. See, Jesus is introducing a kingdom which is radically resistant of sin. It's saying we need ourselves to be looking at our lives and resisting sin. Jesus is not um, promoting self-damage in what he's saying. He's kind of like, if you, if you try to follow everything there, you'd be cutting off arms, legs, taking out eyes. Jesus purposefully using exaggerated language. Why is he doing so? Well, he's doing it because our biggest problem is that we minimize our rebellion against God. We minimize the, the parts of our lives which are causing us to move away from a God of love, of justice, of peace. The whole bias you have and that I have is to underestimate the degrees to which we're not being obedient to God. And we need to get radical about that misunderstanding and take radical action. That's what Jesus is promoting. What a story which might be helpful at this point. Um, I was sending my friend Luke and he, him and Lauren and um, a group of great people have a church out in Sun Valley. Shout out to South Peninsula crowd. And he said in the early days of marriage, they were in East London. They had a granny flat in someone's garden. And he came home the one day and there was a tile at the bottom of um, the front door. And he kind of quickly had the landlord rushing out to chat to him. And he was like, okay, what, what's going on? And she said, I'm, I'm sorry, but I actually saw a boom slung um, sneak under the door into your house. And I quickly went and got a tile. I've put it at the bottom there and we're going to catch this boom slung. We're going to catch this boom slung. Can you imagine um, what it must feel like to have a, a snake in your house. He said he spent hours slowly removing furniture, slowly going through the flat, trying to identify the snake and get the snake out of his home. I'll tell you the sad news. 
They never found it. They never found it. And he said they went to bed that night, him and his wife, Lauren, like <laughs> trying their best to sleep. But at the same time, just thinking there is a snake in our home. What Jesus is saying to his disciples and what he's saying to us now is he's saying, I, I know everything. I see everything. And there is a snake, not just in your home, but in your heart. Yes, the, the reign of sin has been dealt with by me on the cross, but sin still remains. Yes, the penalty of sin has been dealt with, but the presence of sin still remains. And just as radical as you would get with the news that there's a boom slung in your living abode, just as radically you need to look at your heart and you need to adjust it and take dramatic action. Colossians 3 speaks about Paul writing to that church saying, put to death anything that belongs to your earthly nature. Put it to death. Don't, don't kind of medicate it to make it slightly better. No, put it to death. Uh, oncology surgeons in our communities would know that when, when a cancer is identified, you step forward, you, 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 you operate quickly, you take radical action. You can't be passive. You need to go for it. You need to get that worm slung out. You need to take the, you know, the best medical advice and move quickly. Will you, will you right now hear the words of Jesus to you? He sees everything, he sees our hearts and he identifies that there are some things now that look very small that can kill us, that can punish us, not just one day, but now already. Do you know that there's a deceiver who wants to help you live in unreality and what he's going to whisper to you is deal with it tomorrow. Deal with it tomorrow. That boom slang, it's small and deal with it tomorrow. But what Christ was urging his apprentices and what he's urging us to hear today is deal with it today. Come to me today. You see, the kingdom has a judge and, and, and he longs for us to not just deal on the superficial reading of, of how life works, but to go to the heart and to identify that, that there is rebellion in each and every one of us. See, I said earlier that we need, a, we need a judge, we need a king. But if we're honest, as soon as we get up close to such a person, we realize that we can't compare. We can't, we can't get close to them without identifying that we, we're totally unlike them. You see, it's fantastic news to identify that there's a king. But now we get even more fantastic news. And that's that that king went to a cross. His disciples don't understand it right now, but you and I can gaze at what happened on Easter Friday and Easter Sunday and recognize that not only did Jesus provide the truth of our situation, he provided the solution. Not only did he talk about the judgment to come, he provided a means by which we may enter into God's presence, holy and blameless. Remember, this is the one who said in the storm of his disciples' lives, take heart, do not be afraid. Why? Because it is I. And on the cross, looking at all of us, recognizing the degree to which we fall short of God, Jesus again declares, it is I and it is finished. Take heart, do not be afraid. Will you allow God in the next few minutes, maybe it's a walk later, maybe it's as your head hits the pillow tonight, will you allow God to identify the snakes in your life that are robbing you of life to the full? Will you? Will you repent? Will you say, God, I want to change. Don't wait for tomorrow. Do it today. And will you join me in no longer playing games with who I think Jesus is, but actually 
looking to Jesus and allowing him to shape my life in fresh ways this day and every day. Let's pray. Jesus, it's quite something to see you um, undiluted, uncensored. This is not Jesus meek and mild. This is the real Jesus with a passion for righteousness. And God, right now we confess that too often we play games with our understanding of who you are and what you call us to. Right now we confess our need for you. Come Holy Spirit and help us take radical action in response to your radical action, your love, and your rescuing work. Come and shape us, we pray. Amen.